Welcome back to the Bread to Build podcast, a project dedicated to sharing the stories of the people who build and those who help move construction forward. If you like what we're doing and want to support us on this journey, all we ask is you hit the subscribe button. My name is Brett Goen. I'm the founder of Hammer and Builders of Insta, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Pinella. What is going on, guys? My name is Matt Pinella, also known as Matt Bangswood, framer and wannabe YouTuber based out of Central California. Today, we're going to be jumping into our second episode with a good friend of ours and an absolute legend, TJ Snowden, based out of British Columbia, the owner of Snowden Construction, who started his business in 2007 at the age of 21, grew throughout the 2008 recession, and at one point was running a crane, two telehandlers, and employing nearly 50 people by the age of 26. During this episode, we're going to dive into TJ's background, talk about the importance of camaraderie in the trades, learn about how we can better influence the next generation and get his insights on the new era of builders and technology. TJ, my man, welcome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on here. It's a The the legend. The legend, man. (laughs) There's some big shoes to fill, but I I like it. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) Hey, it's good, man. I'm even repping your t-shirt. I appreciate you sending this over. I love it, man. That's awesome. Thanks for your support. There we go. All right, TJ, before we jump into your background and the topics for today, for anyone that doesn't know you, give us an idea of what you guys do at Snowden Construction. So we, I like to say we do it all. We do a bit of everything, but uh, my background is like multifamily framing, uh, high pace framing, uh, I've evolved into a general contractor, so I have all the trades working for me. I try to do as much in-house as, as physically possible, everything from carpentry to metalwork to anything that we can do, we'll take care of. I pride myself in that, but uh, yeah, general contractor basically at this point, carpentry background. There we go. All right, so let's start off with Pretty much what is your story how did you get into the industry and what were you doing before you incorporated your company in 2007 granted that was a time that i think a lot of people feared due to 2008 recession how'd you battle that yeah it was kind of i kind of got into it by fluke uh i worked in a restaurant through my teenage years just like as a part-time job as soon as i graduated i'm like okay i need a real job i got an offer worked on a framing crew smaller scale but we were doing like uh, multifamily builds, uh, stuff like that. So I hopped on with them, uh, worked for about a year or something like that. And my two bosses split ways. The one offered me a big contract with him to uh, take buildings on by contract. So yeah, I was 21 years old. I brought my brother on with me and my cousin and we started hammering away and, uh, yeah, it was only a few months and then the recession kind of hit. So I didn't really see it coming. Um, but I basically just put my head down and worked. And uh, yeah, worked worked my ass off. Worked hard for a long time. Worked every Saturday for years and years and years. And uh, that's how we got going. It worked. It, it, so far, yeah. yeah. What, is, what is the age gap between you and your brother and your cousin? My cousin was actually older than us. And uh, my brother is two and a half years younger. So my brother was like 
18 and a half or something like that. Like just graduated. Are both of them still with you? My cousin's not. My brother is. My brother is like my top dog, like side by side, best right. friend. Like we do everything together. He runs the show. Uh, yeah, he, he does everything exactly how I would want it done. So it, it's awesome. Yeah, that's it's great to have a guy like that on my side. That's good to hear. So what was it like starting a business at 21? I mean, that's, that's a pretty damn young age to be just going for it. Yeah, it was honestly, it was a huge help from uh, my boss at the time. I just, I, we really clicked. He, he since moved to the States. He lives in Washington now, runs a business down there and has been down there for like 10 years. I talk to him all the time though. We're just, we clicked. He wanted to see me do good. I wanted to just go for it. I've always been hungry. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm a confident person. He put more confidence in me as well. And he's like, you, you got this. I'm like, all right, let's see what happens. So if I was to try this again, now with like kids and a mortgage, a big mortgage and all this stuff, I might've had a different uh, look on it, but I don't really know it any differently now. I've been doing this. I'm going to be 35 coming up here. So I've been doing it for a while. So it's safe to say you had some sleepless nights in the beginning. <laughs> it, it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously. I, I, honestly, I think success is kind of uh, measured by how you can handle it. Like the way you can handle stress is the more successful you'll be. If you can put that stress on your shoulders and carry it over day by day by day and keep doing well and not collapse. I think that measures the strength of a man in my opinion. I like that. So. I couldn't agree more with that TJ. I mean, we kind of live in a world where it's always like su suppressed stress and all of these things and balance, whatever it is. And it, it yeah. is clearly evident, like the more responsibility and more success you have, you have to manage that stress load. Like it's just, it's a fundamental part of it it comes with it. Stress comes with uh, wanting to have bucks and, and have the big boy construction companies and stuff like that, right? It's, it's how you handle it. You got to take it easy. You can't stress yourself out. It's all in your head. Did, did at any point uh, during that time, did, did you guys think you were going under? You know what? Like I had, I was up to like seven, guys at the time I let a couple guys go and and my cousin ended up going to do his own thing it was actually just me and my brother for like a year framing houses and uh it was like our our rates were like literally cut in half like we were framing buildings for 18 to 20 bucks a square foot and it literally dropped to I actually took a house for like six bucks or seven bucks a square foot to frame it it was like astronomically less so that, that's how it was here in california as well the the pay for a lead right? carpenter went from 35 down to right about 15 and it hit Crazy. hard a lot of people were yeah. out of work. well and i had i luckily got onto a big job that lasted me like two years and uh it was just me and my brother hammering out units and we were we we're paying the bills. It's not like we were like doing well, making it work. But though. Uh, I, I laugh about it now, how much, how little we were getting paid and still making it work. 
to the people that are complaining about how they can't make money now. But I'm just like, I know how bad it was though. So I, you can't blame them, right? Makes you appreciate yeah. it though. It really does. Honestly. Was the, uh, the two-year project, was that the uh, CLT job? No, that, I don't even uh, think CLT was thought of that thing. <laughs> CLTs uh, used to be like log cabins, right? So they yeah. kind of evolved over the years. <laughs> I, I'm pumped to talk to you about that because um, I know there's probably a lot of people that don't know what cross laminated timber is. But before we get into all of that stuff, um, I, I think this is a pretty relevant question to ask you now. Um, right now, it's a much different time than 2008. There's a lot of proof that, you know, if we have an recession coming up, it's not going to be a housing led recession because there's such a shortage on building. Um, yeah. But there's people that are feeling some uncertainty. Uh, given that we've had a building boom for the last 10 years, COVID hit this year. And I'm really just curious to ask you, you know, maybe some, some ammo for, for guys in the industry, whether coming up or running their business or whatever it is, like what was your biggest learning lesson you gain from building your company during this time or during that time? I mean, the biggest lesson, it was just work hard. Like it honestly will bring you out the best, the, the proper side you're supposed to be on, it'll make you stronger. Uh, if you just put your head down and work hard, you will get places and people will notice it. Like it might take a while, but it does happen. So like you, you can't stop working hard. It's what I built my business on is just working my ass off. So one yeah. thing that, one thing that I have to say, I, I see your stories every single day. You have the, the belt on just about every single day. And I think a lot of the times, people become a contractor and they instantly think that it's belt goes in the trailer. They're, they're done with it and they don't have to work anymore. And I think what you're saying is completely true that you work your ass off. You'll never stop. You're going to go far. Like that's the way I still see it to this day. Like I, I, I might be doing myself a disservice at this point sometimes. And I hear often from other uh, builders and general contractors saying that you need to be working on your business and not in your business, but I love to throw my tool belt on. Like, I love to do that every day. Like, yeah, I'll do it on weekends if I have to. It's just something that brings me happiness to build something, see how fast I can build something. So, uh, like you said, I don't, I don't agree with that hint that the belt goes away. I put it on as much as physically possible still. That's oh, good to hear. That sets you apart from the rest. There's quite a few that don't. Yeah, it's some people's goal, like right out the gate. Like, oh, yep. I, I can't wait to build it up and get rid of these tools. I'm like, but this is what I love to do. So why would I do that? Like, when I try to find stuff to keep busy on around the house, like I'm looking for new projects. I, like, I, I joke with my wife all the time that I'll never retire because I'll get bored. I need something to do. I need something to build. Like, I, I think that's it. the big difference between somebody that's actually a true craftsman and somebody that's in it just for money though. I agree a hundred percent. Definitely. So, and I know you understand you come from that background, from your third generation or whatnot, right? Yeah. So it's like, you've seen that growing up too. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm trying to instill that in my son now. And I, I, at the early, early years, I already see that happening. So it's, it's a really cool feeling. I started him young exactly it's the best thing exactly. you can do TJ, yeah. you get to you get to bring uh you get to bring that inner athlete out on you when you put the bags on <laughs> oh 
honestly, man, I say it all the time to my guys. I've had like uh, quite a few guys that have worked for me that are like uh, high level athletes. Like I even had two kids working for me in summertime that were on baseball uh, scholarships and uh, colleges and uh, athletes do the best. Like they're just physically able to pick something up and figure it out right away. Um, they're quick on their feet and they that, can think. Exactly. And even better than that is guys that are good at like skateboarding and snowboarding because they're not the guys that are scared to be up to the roof and like hanging yep. over stuff. Like, and that is hard to find nowadays, like very tough to find, but it's fun. I enjoy that part of it. I think that's probably the best part. You get like a, a rush, right? If you don't feel like you're about to die at one point in your life, <laughs> you're not living. Yeah. Exactly, man. You know where I'm coming from. <laughs> exactly. TJ, I want to I want to touch on a, a topic with you. It's camaraderie. Um, you've related this back to your experience with sports, um, but tell us a little bit more about camaraderie and its importance in construction. Like, like how has the trade camaraderie shaped your business, and especially in an industry with such high turnover? Um, how have you been able to maintain this uh, with your crew and trades you work with? Well, coming up from like my crew, first and foremost, um, it's always been people that have been referred by like my brother or my brother's friend. He brings a friend, that guy brings his brother-in-law. It, it snowballs like that, right? So when I say that my crew is like my family, it's, it's very true. Like we all get along. We'll have crew barbecues and parties and whatnot everyone has a blast and even expanding that into the general contracting side of things. Now that I've moved on, like uh, guys like my plumber, my electrician um, are amazing friends of mine as well. And not that I would call on my guys on a Sunday at, at 9 PM, but if I did, they'd answer the phone because they know I'm not just some random contractors. Like, friend relationship like I can call favors and uh, not that I'm calling favors all the time but if I need them then uh, they're there for me right so it goes a long way with building a business having friends people you can actually trust and count on and uh, it goes a long way yeah I mean I, I've seen a lot of your work too I mean we've texted and everything and direct message and you do a lot of the paperwork you've done phone calls, texting, communicating with trades, and even building on site, like we were talking about belt on. Do you think throwing on the bags has helped create a better environment and camaraderie uh, in your company? Yeah, yeah. like a hundred percent. Like if uh, I always lead by example, like, uh, and I'll challenge anyone that comes onto my site. My guys know if I go at it, I will outwork you if like, and I'll challenge them anyone that, that's up for a challenge so it's uh some people say i'm getting rusty and my brother says it from time to time because he works oh, every day oh, oh. and i don't but i still i i'm that guy up running on the peak of the roof and and slinging up trusses with the crane and stuff like that like i'm that guy so yeah i i pride myself in trying to be the best right it's like it's a it's a sporting background like it's competitiveness it's competition so, yeah definitely yeah we, I love we do the same thing with with our laborers any laborer that comes on our job site they yeah. think they can pack a whole lot but i'll outpack anybody that comes on 
And oh yeah, challenge me, right? Oh yeah, it it, it keeps you entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. That's the best part about it. It builds a camaraderie right there too. Right? Yep. It's like that's what it's all about, man. Having fun at work. Yeah. TJ, I want to I want to take this high level with you really quick. Um, how do you see that same job site camaraderie now shaping like an entire industry in construction? Like honestly, I think with this whole shift with social media and everyone being able to see what the other people are doing on a daily and being able to have some insight into what they do has kind of brought more respect to everyone. Like when I first stepped on site, like it was almost like, like rival teammates, right? Like the plumbers and the framers, like the plumbers are cutting my structure out. The electricians are always leaving a mess, whatever, right? Everyone's got their thing. But, uh, I feel like now it's not so much of a competition. Everyone's kind of out to pump up the trades. Like, I feel like it's really shifted in that direction huge in the last year or two, or maybe more. Right. But I feel like it's, uh, the social media has brought good light to the construction industry. In that sense. Generation. Um, as you know, I've been very big on supporting the youth and upcoming generations, seeing as I'm third generation, and there are very many topics around the labor shortage and attracting the next generation. And I wanted to ask you, how do you think we could better influence them um, to see construction as a great career rather than drug addicts and felons? Well, it's, I honestly think we're on the right track, what we're doing here with how heavily influenced people are in social media. I, that wasn't a thing when I was getting into it. And like you just said, when I was in high school, it wasn't really like a viable option that they were giving you as a first career choice. So I didn't look at it in high school as I want to do this. And if I did, I, I would have had my first two years of carpentry under my belt before I even graduated because they offer that now. But uh, I was doing all these, uh, all these other courses thinking I was going to go to university and all this coming to realize, Hey, I don't really want to sit in school for like a couple of years. I, I, barely enjoy sitting in school when I'm in trade school. Like I want to get out and start working. Right. So yeah, I think we're doing the right thing right now and promoting it how we are through social media. Like that's the biggest platform that gets to everybody and is putting a positive light on the trades um, that I never saw when I was growing up ever. It was, it was kind of frowned upon to get into there or it was like a, it was the second choice if you couldn't make it as something else. But um, I'm fortunate that that happened, I guess, because I'm where I am today because of it. Because uh, now with the building and the evolution and the new building codes and stuff, you really can't be a dummy uh, out there building homes anymore. See, it I takes feel a like lot I, of smarts. I feel like that's the way it was back in 80s and 90s was a lot of track homes yeah. were going on. This area was getting developed like crazy. And my pops was just getting going early 90s. And that, that's what he's told me for years now is that back then it was actually just drug addicts, felons, and it was peaceful. Right? It was, it was yeah. blow and go and get shit done. And I think we've kind of evolved from that to actually caring a little bit more about the structure that's going up, making sure that we're meeting energy efficiency codes and putting up a structure that's going to be here for a minute. I agree. Totally. And there, it comes with the, yeah, being proud about your work, people taking pictures of their stuff. It goes along hand in hand with the social media thing and people wanting to post something that they're proud of, like something that a, 
uh, a plumber might have done like a bad solder joint or whatever on, and it would have just said, oh, whatever, you're not going to see it, I'm going to cover it up. Like people are taking a little bit of extra time, and then they want to snap a shot of that and be proud of their work, right? And if so that's all it takes it, is a, a little bit of bragging, yeah. I'm all for it. Right? It's accountability too. Like, and that's what being a true craftsman is, being proud of your work. You want to be able to show it to somebody, right? Yep. Even, so, even though majority of it gets covered up. I'm with you there. Exactly. TJ, exactly. You, uh, you bring up a good point that I want to touch on really quick. And it's like social media has almost like opened up the positive aspects of construction. Um, I mean, like if you look at it, people can post their work, gain pride, get some validation from other trades in the industry and like showcase what they're, what they're building and everything. But the one thing that you bring up is, and that I want to touch on is people in the trades have control over the message that they're putting out now. Before yeah. that, you know, like we were reliant on school advisors pushing the message, shop classes. And without those being pushed through high schools and middle schools, I mean, the trades have kind of put their stake in the ground and saying like, this is what we stand for. This is the community and kind of like what we'll touch on here in a second, but the new era of building and trades. But I, I, I think like that has also helped the industry a lot too, is the trades are now empowered to share their voice versus relying on other sources of influence to do it for them. And yeah, and the other sources of influence weren't necessarily guys that have been in the trade for years and years. They were mm -hmm. like high school shop teachers, right? And now you got guys like Matt, but his videos are getting played in these shop classes where you're seeing a guy that's a third generation guy that's been taught the ropes by his dad and his dad and you're actually seeing some real stuff out there. Uh, I feel like it's a little bit more relatable in a sense. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Like, I don't know if you guys uh, in carpentry school have the Larry Hahn videos. I'm sure I'm yep. sure you do, right? Yep. So he's he's like the guy, but those videos are from like the 50s. So now you got a new guy coming in, which is relatable. So that's like the new Larry Hahn. Can oh, I give you that title? No, you cannot. <laughs> no, I, I cannot. <laughs> I won't. I won't take that in the slightest. Um, no. Appreciate it. He's he's an awesome dude. Um, I've watched nearly everything that's ever been put out on him. But in a sense, that's kind of the role that I'm going for. In a sense, because exactly some, somebody has to fill those shoes, and there is nobody right now. And no, I cannot tell you how many messages I've gotten from kids that had absolutely no guidance, and a lot of them I can freaking relate to because I wasn't ever a good kid. Um, not that I was a bad kid, but I wasn't on the right path and the trade sort of helped me do something that I never really thought was possible. So oh, I hear you there. being I able to relate to all these kids is, is pretty freaking awesome. And I think being younger, I get a lot of hate for it, but at the same time, they can relate to somebody that's 21, 22, yeah. 24, even a lot more than they can say Larry Hahn, who's a master at what he does. Cause I'll never lie. I, I'm, I make mistakes every single day, but yeah. Larry, though, you think of this dude in my eyes, he's like a framing God. He I, definitely is. I don't think he makes mistakes. No. And you know what? If he, he doesn't show him if he does, but I guess when you're cutting with a handsaw and nailing with hand spikes, you you can catch that mistake, right? I always notice my mistake after I've peppered it with like 20 nails. And then I'm like, <laughs> damn. That's when I turn the cameras off. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
TJ, uh, speaking of all that, I want to jump into the new era of building, cross laminated timber and everything. This is something I get super fired up about. I was initially um, introduced to CLT from a friend and I was kind of just like geeking out on all these multifamily and wood structures for commercial and everything. And then, you know, where I think it kind of clicked for me is you and I met in Vegas we're at the International Builder Show. <laughs> we ran into each other. And um, the, the one thing that I remember, I was like, you're the CLT guy, like TJ, like that's how I knew you. And it was like, I finally met someone that's swinging CLT. And so I, I, I want to get an opportunity to talk to you about this. But, um, uh, you know, first and foremost, like you come from a generation that has had the opportunity to see some of the old school, see some of the new school. And now we're starting to see, see a big shift in the industry from adopting new technology tools, new materials like cross laminated timber and a new generation coming in. And we're needing like this workforce to upskill with all these things. Um, and we even cover this a little bit in your workforce Wednesday feature with you, but um, I'd like to dive into what you kind of mean around the new era of builders. Yeah, it's uh, like you said, it's the transition right now. It was um, when I got into it, it was pretty rough neck in a sense. Um, I remember my first day being on site still, there was a lot of rough dudes there. I was like an 18 year old kid, um, and being kind of intimidated. And now it's, it's really shifted. Like, uh, people were yelling back then all the time. It's, it's more of like a, a gentleman's club, like I, I should say now. And be, I think that's a lot to do with the new codes. And like up here in BC, we have a step code. So you're introducing new regulations that you have to meet every few years and we're talking like air tightness which makes it way tougher to build you have to know way more there's new products coming in all the time to keep up on your uh, builder's license you have to be taking hours and hours of courses every year to to keep updated and there's actually older guys that are maybe in their 50s or whatever saying when we reach this certain step code, I'm just going to call it quit because there's no sense of me relearning all this stuff to go another five years. So it's, it's actually knocking older guys out of the industry. And every time we jump another step code, our building price per square foot jumps from, let's call it 275 bucks a square foot to 300 bucks a square foot. Like, it's just, it's evolving a lot. It's making building costs more. It's uh, essentially putting more money in the trades pockets at that point. And uh, it's forcing us to become more educated as well. So you're going from a roughneck dude that's literally swinging a hammer, smoking a pack of cigarettes uh, to like a guy <laughs> driving around in, in a, a nice vehicle with his hair slicked back, uh, shirt and tie, I guess you could say. That's not me. I don't know why. I don't see that. Uh, I like to still be able to look like I can jump in and throw my belt on at a second's notice, like no matter how high up I get at, in general contracting role. So it has changed a lot. It, it's for the better. If you want to look at it that way too, there's more money in it for us if you're willing to put it in time. So that, that price jump is pretty consistent as, as codes get tougher and tougher to follow because I've seen well, the same yeah. thing here. The older cats don't want to keep up. They don't, 
they would oh. rather go out. My, my grandfather to this day is single sill on his windows. Doesn't understand why we've got double top plate in different places. Like he is, yeah. he would, he would rather do everything the way he knows than try to learn anything new. And I, I think that's, yeah, that's true. Tough, everywhere. Right. When you look at it that way. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think we have some of the strictest uh, energy efficient codes up here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys do blower tests and stuff down there yet. Like we're we're, we're kind of flip-flopped. You guys yeah. have the whole blower door test and things. They, they do that in the States. They do. Um, I've had this conversation yeah. with a lot of people. They don't do blower door tests here, but like specifically where we're at, you guys follow Brian Ferguson, um, framer out of, he's north of me. Dude is absolutely insane. His Instagram yes, handle is yeah, yeah, yeah. LBL. The dude is insane. And he builds- The roof the, systems he frames are yes. next level, yeah. So we're kind of in the same area regarding earthquakes and stuff. Yeah. So I've, I've never done a blower door test on any home we've built, but I know that's a big thing everywhere else. The only thing that we have is the over-engineering for all of our earthquakes. You guys are, I'd say, probably a little bit more extreme than us, but we definitely have it like big Do time you? up here, like our Simpson strong walls and like uh, even going inland one province. So I don't know what that would be in line with Montana where you guys are at, but we're yeah. on the coast. Guys come here from one province over and think they can frame for the same price and every one of them eats their shirt because they don't know what a shear wall is yep. or a uh, six inch on center bolt pattern in a, in a foundation wall, like in a foundation bolting the wall down um, or A35 clip six inch on center or you know what I'm so talking about. Like it's, I get, I get the, the lovely YouTube comments of people telling me that um, we are terribly slow, but when it comes down to it, we have a lot more engineering that goes into literally everything. Yeah. We've got more shear walls and hold downs than I've ever seen. And then yeah. I, I take a trip out to different places and I've walked quite a few new construction builds and it's like, you guys have pour in place straps on the front of your garage walls and that's it. Meanwhile, we've, yeah. got, we've got strong walls out here and 12 hold downs in the garage alone. Things are different everywhere, but like you're saying, yeah. I think we're on the same level as far as engineering goes. And very similar, like it. And you take trips like anywhere else. Like I was in Arizona a year or so ago, and I can believe how quickly they go up. And I don't even know if they they know what a strap is. I could be wrong, but they don't do nearly the engineering that we do. No, not at all. So, but it it comes with territory, right? We're in earthquake zones. Yeah, no, I, I have never had a house blow over or rock over from an earthquake, and I take pride in that. Exactly. You see, even the guys on the East Coast here, um, the structural engineers allow them to sheet some of their walls with foam. I wanted like, to touch base on you, you with that. I've seen them falling over. What in the hell? I See, I don't know. I'm on the same level as you here. Like, we, everything is sheeted. Everything. Uh, we have sheer walls everywhere. I don't know what's going on with that. I, I, I have no idea. It gives Canada, <laughs> it gives Canada such a shitty name though, because instantly people oh, yeah. see it and they think Canada and it's like, but there's, there's yeah. different, it's not the same everywhere. And it sucks because that's in, like in the East coast, there's tons of guys doing awesome builds over there. It's just, they don't have the earthquakes. So they under engineer as much as they can to save money. Uh, until something like that happens, right? Um, 
yeah, you would, <laughs> I don't even know how it happens. It's crazy. I wouldn't even take the braces off the walls. It blows my mind, to be honest. DJ, tell us a little bit about CLT, the cross-laminated timber. I'll, I'll let you kind of define it and everything, like what the product is, but it, it's probably one of the most fascinating things that I've seen swinging these big panels together. I mean, we were texting you earlier today and uh, one of the panels that you're describing is 2,800 pounds, uh, just like an absolute beast. Um, but tell us a little bit more about, you know, what cross-laminated timber is for anybody listening that doesn't know about this product yet. I have no uh, clue what it is. Never seen it in my life. <laughs> yeah. So l- l- let's educate Matt and everybody else that doesn't know it. So it's essentially like a, a glue lamb. You've seen glue lamb posts and beans. Yep. It's essentially like that. It's laminated lumber. So um, typically it's approximately two by six um, laminated three times opposite ways each time. Right. So it's four and a half inches thick. Um, I've seen panels that are like 40 feet long up to like 15 feet wide in one shot. Right. So that's a floor system that'll span the same as a two by 10 with sheathing on it. Mm -hmm. So you, you can drive bolt four bolts into these things for pick points, lift them up, drop them down, GRK screws through the top. Like uh, it'll bolt right through the CLT into the top plates and then the other way up. Um, it, it, it makes a floor absolutely sheer. Like that panel is not moving. In saying that, your building has to be perfect. And what, going what, all the what, way up. what kind of pro- uh, projects are you seeing this most common in your area? It, right now, it's kind of more, I'd say, industrial or commercial. There's like a developer up here pushing it on the multifamily side, which is a building that I was working on. Um, it's just the price tag is really high on them. That's um, what I was curious about. What is the price difference from a traditional floor system to the CLT? You know what? I think it's probably it. I haven't priced it out like exactly, but I, I think it's, it's quite substantially more, but the labor is way less. That's gonna, like, yeah. That's what I was going to ask. These, when we're framing these big buildings, depending on the size, like let's just say I got a 200,000 square foot building to frame we'd need like a, a floor joisting crew of like 10 guys to keep ahead. Right. And on this, you can have like a crane guy and one guy or two guys and they'll lay more floor than these 10 guys would like by far. So it's, it's just, it's similar to the whole zip system thing in a sense where taping yeah. the walls takes care of all your house wrap and it's a little bit more, but it's quicker than doing it the traditional way. Yeah, and honestly, these things are so solid, way more solid than than any floor system would be. Like, yeah. you, and it's uh, the fire ratings are better. Um, and it's just, correct me if I'm wrong. It's just solid. It's solid, right mm-hmm. through. Yeah. So when you when you build, are you is your floor system still around a foot, or it, it's literally just that four? No, inch? no, it's literally four and a half inches thick. That's it. Like you have your double top plate, yeah. you land your CLT on top of it. It spans from structural bearing wall to bearing wall. And then you put your next floor on top. So you're only four and a half inches thick. So in these, these homes, you're dropping the ceiling below for your, your plumbing runs, your ducting runs and all that. Since so you don't have everything technically, else. Yeah. Technically you will end up with a, a thicker floor system, but that's I gotcha. four and a half inches thick. Kind of like swinging in Lego pieces. 
That's what that's what these buildings have come to. Honestly, we get our walls prefabbed. They Do show you really? Up, like, yeah, like not all the time. Not it's often on these huge the, the multifamily. Yeah, and it's just we've done it the other way as well. Um, it's just you need less manpower on site. You can uh, sub it out to a contractor that has a full setup shop. There's a few guys that we use up here. Uh, it's actually really. Uh, really popular system. Uh, nobody stick frame apartment buildings out here anymore. Like next to no one. That's so, such a yeah, they come in a stack. You fly them in with a crane. Like uh, we're actually really good at it. Like I've, I've made a good name for myself with how quickly we can do prefab walls. Um, so your yeah, trust system too, though. That process. That, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh, which one? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, for the barn like when you, that, Yeah, like when you recently took over our Instagram account, you showed oh, all your yes, impressive yes. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just like to uh, – now that's a, that's a whole other topic because um, that, that industry is agricultural, which I've started dipping into mm -hmm. too, which is just massive buildings on a large scale. Like uh, – 80 foot clear span trusses, which are, it's nuts. If you actually put a tape measure on and see how far that is, uh, it's insane. You wouldn't even think that could structurally work. But um, yeah, they bring them out to site. And I always kind of try to evolve and see how I can do it better than the next guy because this agricultural industry is kind of set in their ways. There's a lot of old timers in that, way more old timers. And uh, they do them one by one by one. But we have the space out there and we have the cranes, so we build them in sections, right? And have them come up in, in racks. and 80 foot span in sections? Yeah, we had five trusses together and they're spaced four feet apart too, right? So, and it's all the webbing's done inside, all the strapping's done, our subfaces are on. It takes out all the dangerous work of doing it up top. It does because on that one we were on top of 20 foot walls, right? And we had nothing but exterior walls to stand on. So we were working out of genies and then you, you have to have guys up top. Oh yeah. So you're like 40 feet to the peak, right? Trying to tie stuff in, slinging it with the crane. And everyone that doesn't do heights, say 40 feet doesn't sound very high, but it's, it's pretty high when you're up there slinging giant trust packs around but uh i don't care what you say in the calf, right it's it's fun I, I i really love uh the pressure of those kind of days like that's what i live for anything over 30 foot if i'm dangling off the side i have no problem on top plate at all but once you're over a certain height i don't give a yeah. shit who you are you know that if you fall you're dead and that's kind yeah. of what, what that is your if body you're, knows it oh yeah if you're doing the whole tying off thing and stuff you're you're good to go but um yeah. For those of the pirates around still once you're up there you just know yeah no it's your knees get weak right it's yeah. just your natural senses kick in at that point yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious uh, this is a, a rookie question but i for everyone that doesn't know uh, about the the clt and everything like if someone were to adopt that um wanted to get into the clt like how much needed training is around it, the installation system? Like, what would, what was it like for you guys getting into the game? You know what? It's, there, was, there was nobody else really doing it. So we were kind of just not flying by the seat of our pants, but like 
like I said, I, we've done so many prefab, like we prefab our roof sections, we prefab our walls. This is just another one. Even I think it was 10 plus years ago, I had a company that I was doing a building for and they were supplying the wall panels and they were also trying to do floor panels in sections too. So this was happening before, but they were doing it at a two by 10 and sheeting. It, it didn't work out well, but the thought was there. But uh, it, yeah, if you're, I pride myself in evolving building techniques and stuff like that. So someone offered me this, like I, I was going to find a way to figure it out. All the plans are there though to do it. And we're quick, quick at slinging in prefab stuff. So it's like a big I'll IKEA project. Honestly, it is if you look at it that way. But it's funny to see how some people don't see it like that. Some people get overwhelmed by big projects and stuff. But it's uh, it is like a big IKEA project. There's a, a schedule to follow, uh, a set of plans, shop drawings, and they click together. It goes. It's all there. Pretty quick. It is. It is. Is there a lot of uh, module modular activity going on up there in BC? Yeah, like the same kind of thing, like total prefab homes. Are you talking? Yeah, and even like commercial, like swinging in modular, like swinging in, stacking like Legos. Yeah, there is a bit. Like, yeah, even Seacans. I know they did a high rise downtown out of like a bunch of different Seacans and stuff like that. Um, yeah, they're trying to see. I guess that's essentially what we're building with these prefab walls, floor system is just like modular sections, but. Uh, not a whole, a whole lot of that up here, like full modular stuff. I, I think the full modular, I, th I think it's flawed. I mean, you have to have such dialed in design systems to just vertically integrate it into a building. I mean, Honestly, I've read so yeah. many different articles, like in a perfect world, the modular makes sense. If you could slide them in, the design plans are perfect. But I mean, I've read so many articles where it's like the biggest solution to modular, if you have to make any adjustments is bring out a jackhammer. And while that is kind of a yeah. joke, it, it's very, very true. And I think for it to actually be a thing, one, you have to get the scalability to make it a very viable solution. And I know it's talked a lot about in the housing affordability market, but it's also, you have to have a really solid design plan so you can actually just put them together like Lego pieces. You almost do. Like that's essentially what it is. The only thing with going this full modular way is it almost it takes like all the craftsmanship out of it, right? Because they're talking about like 3D printing a building and stuff. Like I know they've done that kind of stuff, but like, where's the craftsmanship gone? Like I will fight that personally till the end of my time. Sorry, it's not gonna even entertain those. <laughs> so we're not, I, too, uh, we're not too big on prefab panels here yet. Um, I mean- no? probably in San Fran and, and Los Angeles areas, it's, it's probably popping off, but we're in a yeah. pretty small area. So things haven't really been developed here since the nineties, but there are contractors that are one of them that I know of um, can't mention names due to privacy is in the works with a big company. They're trying to push a pre-built floor system, pre-built walls, interiors are done, roof is ready to go, and it all gets brought out on a semi, and they basically show up to a job site and it goes up within 12 hours. And then you're, yeah. on to, you're on to the rest of your finishes. And it's a great thing, but like you're saying, it's gonna take away from the craftsmanship. It's not gonna pay as much. You're not gonna have the skilled freaking dudes that used to do this shit. And yeah. 
kind of taken us out one by one. And, and that's the way I see it too. And uh, I've kind of capitalized on it a little bit because I don't know, we're good at installing this stuff, but like it's keeping more money in just one guy's pocket. That's building the whole thing. Right. Like, I don't know. We've got the same kind of thing where, where we have lumber package for an entire house show up. But it's uh, yeah. You got to keep the craft going. You just, you I think with what, you're, with, with what you're doing though, I mean, think about it this way. The, the contractor that I'm referencing is basically wanting to pay 20 bucks an hour and he's going to have a couple guys go out there and set this thing up. You couldn't take those same guys and put them on one of your projects from start to finish. And it's just going to no. miraculously go up. The, the craftsmanship is definitely there with you still. Um, I even, don't think, I don't think that would die out. This prefab stuff though, you have to be knowledgeable. Like, you have to know what you're doing. You still got to be able to straighten those walls. And when you're not building them and uh, like when you're building them on site, standing them up, sheeting the wall after, like it's easier to make everything tight and true and whatnot. When these panels are coming in separately, they're all separate panels. Like good luck with that crown guy trying to hang his crown after on guys who are making entry-level wages standing those panels and trying to get that stuff to look nice yep like it's again it comes down to craftsmanship regardless if it's a prefab panel coming in yeah no you you got to know what you're doing yeah no i i totally agree with it what you were talking about though tj is this this new era of builders i mean we're seeing so many new materials come into the industry a lot of new technology that's pretty exciting i mean it's drastically changing the industry i mean you could walk up into a job site pull out your ipad know exactly who's on site when materials are getting there who's working on what like it's just taking a dramatic shift and i think it's actually helping the industry because people do feel empowered to use their devices now or especially like this next generation it's like okay i can use these as a tool versus hey keep your phone in your truck keep it out of the classroom whatever it is i think people are starting to find um that one the barrier to get into the industry um, is becoming much easier to get in. Um, the you could say, or even argue to a certain extent, the 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 physical labor is becoming a little bit easier, which could attract more people to the industry. And then also the new technology it was like that's going to be an attractive um, avenue for younger people to come in. Well, I think another thing is the fact that we have Google as a resource. You could look up how to do literally freaking anything. And chances yeah. are you can figure it out based off of a simple Google search. So by not teaching the kids how to use what they've got, they're never going to progress unless somebody actually sits down and teaches them every single thing that they're doing. And that's kind of where um, my YouTube comes into play is I've, I've had a lot of kids tell me that they've gotten a pay raise because they know how to cut a freaking arch and the journeyman didn't know how. And all it took was watching a 10 minute freaking video on YouTube, as ridiculous as that sounds. And they managed to move their way up without somebody being in person teaching them. So I no, think I agree. technology 100%. is killer. I've used it as a resource often myself too. Like, I don't know. I definitely don't know everything. And I didn't have like a formal training. Like a lot of these guys did. Like I was out on my own probably earlier than I should have been. But even to this day, if I'm trying to do something new, like I'm, you can jump on social media, you can jump on YouTube and you can, if you know what you're looking for and you're looking in the right place, you can find 
great info that you can use and learn off of. I agree completely. So it is uh, a, another, a next level, a next step that I didn't have a few years ago. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's come a long way. I mean, even uh, I was, this was probably about a year ago, but I was visiting a trade school and one of the, one of the first signs on the outside of the door was um, phones have to go in a locker. And so they had lockers in the classroom and everything like no phones could be used. And I, and I get that in a classroom setting, phones shouldn't be used. But um, I had brought up to the, to the, the, the professor, I was like, why don't you let the students like take pictures of their work? Like they're doing all yeah. this stuff all day. Like at the end of the day, their satisfaction is going to be coming from maybe like snagging that photo, maybe taking it home to their parents and saying, Hey, check this out. This is what I built today. And, yeah. and I brought this up to uh, another professor um, out in central California, Andrew way. And I was talking with him and I said, I, I would highly recommend that if phones aren't going to be used in the classroom, that you should try to change the positioning of how you could use it as a tool and maybe yeah. have it be part of your curriculum where they can not feel completely divided from their phone, but use it in a way where it brings more pride to their work and they can use it and they have photo documentation when they go and get a job and so on and so forth. Like let them use it that empowers them to find work or to have a sense of pride or just have a dialogue of everything that they did in class. And it's completely like shaped the mind of, okay, let's not consider these phones as evil in the classroom, but how can, because they're already addicted to it, use it in a way that benefits yeah. the classroom setting, but also where they're going in the industry and getting these careers. It, yeah. It's a tool and they just have to know when to use it. Right. Like, uh, you don't want to use a skill saw to cut crown molding, but that's a tool in your bag and you, you should know when and how to use that. Right. So if they're good with that, like you said, uh, it's tough for them because they are in a sense addicted to it, but, uh, they should be documenting that stuff. Like that's one of the things, the biggest thing they should be teaching in school is pride of your work. Like that's the, that's everything in the trades is it's pride gonna, of your work. That's exactly. It's going to take you from being the person that says, all right, forget it. You, you will never see it to wanting to do it nicely to where you can snap a picture of it or to where you exactly. know that it's actually decent. I'm, I'm yeah. with you. The last thing I mean, you want to do is throw something out there on social media and get drug over the coals because you, uh, you threw something up together with a three-eighths caulking gap or, you know what I mean? Or, like, you, or you framed all the kitchen wall heights two feet short. Yeah. I know, I know a course, guy. <laughs> I know that they were supposed to be the last project that we did. We, we fucked up bad. Uh, we framed the whole kitchen at nine foot and it was supposed to be 11. Um, oh. we, had, we had a lead on the project and it went right over his head. And unfortunately, nobody else caught it by the time that we're sitting there looking at this detail for this beam that goes across the freaking living room, we, we started pulling numbers and we're like, holy shit, this beam's going to be down in the freaking wall, a good foot. Like this, this isn't going to work. And then we, we kind of put two and two together and we're like, all right, well, we're, we're missing a good two feet. It happens oh, no. though. Accepting was the next it floor already on? on? Oh no, it was single level, single level. Oh, okay. But we took down every, every single wall. They're all rake walls too. So they took quite a bit to build. Uh, we tore out, I, I got out the reach lift, started strapping 
up. I was like, all right, we're just pulling everything out. We pulled every wall out, had everything reframed within eight hours. I was like, all right, we're, we're, we're done. Let's, let's move you know forward. What? I, I say to this day, like, there's a few things I say about this. If you're not making mistakes, you're not working fast enough. That's a hundred percent like my outlook on it. And the best framers are the quickest ones that can fix those mistakes. Yep. Like I, I made them more often than I'd like to admit to, but I fix them quicker than anybody else. So I think that's what defines you as a carpenter is, is not the right? mistakes you make, but how the heck you can fix them. Exactly. Uh, and and how soon you catch them. And I've noticed that the more seasoned I've become, the quicker I've caught those mistakes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the quicker you can catch them, the fixer, the quicker you can fix them, the better off, obviously. But uh, everybody makes them. And if you're not, like I said, you're not working quick enough. On a, on a similar note, I ran a reach lift through the side of a building when I was 17. And that was like the biggest eye-opening experience <laughs> to me. My, my pops was gone and I was like, holy sh**. We need to get these freaking pieces of shear panel off the damn building and get them slapped back up. I don't think I've ever pulled nails quicker. <laughs> oh, man. Oh I've done a similar one, too. I was actually out of town with a business partner of mine uh, working late, late nights. I think it was like 10 at night. I was grabbing some, some stuff with a forklift, and he precariously parked his BMW in between some stacks of lumber. Yeah, I backed that forklift right into the front of that thing tore the whole front end off of it didn't even know uh got back up there uh yeah that was that was an awkward night we were sharing a hotel room for, for oh, God. <laughs> like, I you could buff you buffed it out right <laughs> oh man we're buds now yeah we're, we're good now we can laugh yeah he'll buff stuff. right out <laughs> yeah, I wish. it's just like a I little wish. scratch don't worry about it sleep on it <laughs> exactly oh he was up but what do you do with Kevin? <laughs> it happens everyone. All right, TJ, we're wrapping up near the end. And what we do at the end of every episode is we end it with our fast five. These are five questions to be answered within a sentence or less. So for the first one, uh, if you could go back in time, your biggest piece of advice you would give to yourself would be, I'm going to insert really quick, besides hitting a BMW. Okay, now take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah. So I would say just don't hold back. Like, if I can elaborate on that, it kind of goes into saying uh, saying what I actually feel. That's one thing I wish I I did more of. What was saying what was on my mind and not holding holding that back. But that's one thing I would definitely say to myself back then. Don't hold back. Uh, number two, your favorite athlete of all time. Well, that was a tough one. That's a tough one. But I'd have to say it was uh, Ken Griffey Jr. I'm a baseball guy, and that guy is just next-level elite athlete. Nice. He makes insane plays. Uh, he's just natural, and he always has a smile on his face. I think that's the best part about the guy. He, he could tell he enjoyed what he was doing all the time. That sounds like you, man. Uh, <laughs> I try to be like that. I love it. Number three, um, one person that has inspired you the most. This is a tough one too, because I want to say, so I'm going to do this like my parents, because my dad was uh, the guy who taught me my work ethic, a hundred percent hands down. That's where I got it from. But my mom is where I got my attitude from. She's never got a frown on her face. She's mm -hmm. always happy. So that's kind of like a 
two-person kind of ordeal there. But I they think had a it's, perfect uh, combo. Yeah. Right? That's, what I, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> All right. Number four, your one message to the next generation would be? Your hard work gets you where you want to be every time. Just keep at it. Like, that's what does it. It might take a while, but it'll get you where you want to be. Guarantee it. Love it, man. And the last one, number five, what does bread to build mean to you? To me personally, it's uh, just the belief that I have that this is what I was, I'm born to do this. And uh, I believe that now. I didn't really know that when I started out doing this, but every day I wake up and I realize like, this is not that it's easy to me, but I enjoy doing it. It really comes naturally, just all the pieces clicking together. But yeah, I think just feeling that you were born to do this, that this is your path, right? It's more than a paycheck. More it than a definitely paycheck. is. It definitely is. It's about like, it's about that name on your chest. Like I can't, I can't start that over again. Like that, I walk around and building that up, it's 100% about the pride. It's I not re- a paycheck. I remember the first time we got a lumber drop and it had our name on the side of it. I was like, that right there is a damn good feeling. Same thing with trusses because before I that, you, we were always slinging piecework and stuff and it was like the builder's name. And then when it, when it first said Pinella, I was like, that's awesome. I feel you huge, man. I, th- I think we came from a a bit of the same background too with like framing first right yep. and you do so as framers you do so much work man without your your name being out there like i yeah. framed a two hundred thousand square foot building that's the biggest one i've done you got you got me beat. you got me beat my name on. was not <laughs> other than like a little sign on the fence like it's big my name is not on that project it's the developer right yeah. so switching over getting your own number own number going and stuff like that and even to the point now where you walk into a lumber store and like, it's just a bunch of the boys there now. They know you. I love You're it. You're a regular. It's a good feeling, right? Like, yep. Adds to the camaraderie right there, but yeah, it's a cool feeling. Love it, man. Alrighty, TJ. Thanks so much for joining this episode of the bread to build podcast. Before we let you off the hook, where can people find and connect with you? Well, I, uh, I do daily updates quite often. I'm on Instagram. You got to check me out on Hammer as well. So uh, I enjoy putting myself out there. You see my pride of workmanship and uh, go follow me up. All right, brother. Ride. Yeah. Appreciate you being here, man. It's been fun. Thanks for having me, guys. You have Great. a good night. You too, guys. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks for listening to the second episode of the Bread to Build podcast, a project dedicated to sharing the stories of the people who build and those who help move construction forward. If you like this episode and you like what we're doing, drop a review. If you'd like to join us on the podcast or have some topics in mind that you'd like us to cover, feel free to shoot us an email at breadtobuildpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find me on all platforms, Brett Goen. You can follow me on the Hammer app or follow these social channels, We Are Hammer or Builders of Insta on Instagram. Wanted to thank you guys for listening. You can find me on pretty much every social platform at Matt Bangswood, along with hammer.com slash Matt. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys in the next episode of the Bread to Build podcast.